The Cozy Robot Show. Well, hey, Cozy Robots out there in internet land. It's me, Mike McCarg. Welcome to another edition of The Cozy Robot Show, a show where we talk about empathetic skepticism, the way we can think critically about the information we see in the world while also experiencing life empathetically, both towards our own feelings and toward the feelings of others. We're live right now on YouTube and Facebook and Periscope and Twitch. Oh my, right now. Say hello. Comments are linked on all platforms. We can see what you're saying as the show moves on. And of course, you know, you might be listening on demand right now because the show comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we also chop the show up into little segments that are shareable and bite-sized and fun that appear on all social media platforms like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Makes it easy to share with friends and family. So just like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening so that you have access to those updates. Now, I do want to give a little disclaimer right up top on the show tonight. We have a lot, and I mean a lot, of questions about the COVID-19 vaccines. And we're going to answer those because we believe that every question deserves an honest and non-judgmental response. But I want to remind you that I am not a medical expert, but instead a very fun and entertaining community college dropout <laughs> just reads a lot. And the other thing I want to remind you of is we have changed the way we do this show. We've told you ever since the beginning that the Cozy Robot Show is brought to you by a team of talented, wonderful, and supportive people. But we've made a decision in the last few weeks to bring that team from behind the camera to in front of it. So first, I'd like to welcome onto the program Victory Palmazano, our executive producer. Hey, Victory. Hello. It's so How good are to you? See you <laughs> it's so always. good to see you. Likewise. So, <laughs> I mean, let's be real. We were hanging out literally right before the show. So this is kind of like two minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple like times you. today. I know. And also, it snowed today it in L.A. It snow right in mm-hmm. L.A. It was so wild. We got up. My whole family ran to the back door. It was snowing in the back door. And then I decided I wanted to record it on video. So I ran to the front door because I've got my garden. And it was sunny and bright in the front yard. No snow whatsoever. I thought, wow, I already <laughs> missed it. And I ran back to the back door. And it was still snowing. And it never snowed in our front yard today. But it did snow. <laughs> That's so weird. LA and and it's I know. I know. I'm 15 minutes away from you. No snow. None. It's a bummer. Sad I missed it, but still exciting. Somewhere there may have been more snow than we're used to, however, is uh, Virginia, where our social media manager is from. (laughs) (laughs) Present. I'm wearing a Virginia tech, actually, as we record. Um, I didn't go there, but, uh, my sister did. So that's why I'm wearing it and it's very comfortable. Uh, I'm feeling so Grace, relaxed your new microphone because sounds terrific. Oh my gosh. Good. I'm glad. Am I on a bit of a lag? I might be a little bit. Okay. Okay. It's okay. I was, I was, it's COVID. I was, yeah, there's really, there, that might happen as we go on. Um, I was going to say, I feel so relaxed because Mike shared with us a video of Cardi B doing ASMR earlier, oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. my head was so tingly, and I was just like, oh, oh, I literally... I'm so calm. Like usually I'll be honest, I get a little bit nervous for these things. And now I'm like, this is, I'm so Zen right now. Hmm. It's our new thing. <laughs> the show. It's a little group Real. ASMR. Yeah. I don't get, I don't get the head tingles. I get full spinal tingles, like all the way, oh, like yeah. actual chills up and down my spine, but I have not experienced the head thing. Oh, so tonight we're doing a special version of the Cozy Robot Show. Show, 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 show. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. On your inhaler. <laughs> On my inhaler, yeah. <laughs> special, very special ASMR. <gasps> oh. <laughs> we have too much fun, y'all. This is this is our job. <laughs> yeah, for real, it's the best. How's y'all's week going? 
Well, you know, I've been, um, honestly, I've been, so I've been the one getting all the questions about the COVID-19 vaccines. Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested to know about it because someone in my family just got the COVID vaccine and it's, yeah, I was like, woo, my, um, someone else in my family is autoimmune compromised. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important, uh, from what I'm hearing to get the vaccine, but I can't wait to hear your thoughts about that, Mike. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's funny, <laughs> like in this era, when you say a friend of mine or family member or person I know just got the COVID, that whether a word follows or not completely changes the sentence. Like for so long, just got the COVID. Totally. But then you said, just got the COVID oh vaccine. And then you're like, oh, like, you're like good. Totally different yeah. immune system paths. Like got the, no, oh, vaccine. Okay, we can stop the adrenal right. glands. Everything's you're actually, like, that's good news. You panic, the sirens go off. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Victory, so that's how, how I'm doing. Oh, uh, I'm pretty good. I, you know, because we're on lockdown in LA, there's not a ton going on. So there's a lot of show watching. Uh, the big topic of conversation in my world has been the, uh, Fran Lebowitz docuseries. Are either of you watching that? I don't think so. No. I heard about it, but I haven't been watching it. Okay, well, we'll have to discuss on another one. If if viewers are watching the Netflix brand documentary, you'll know if you are. You can let us know, and then we can make Mike watch it. We can discuss it next week. But it's a, uh, it's like Martin Scorsese's old pal, and she's she's this New Yorker who is old and complains a lot, but for some reason she's like very very funny, and it's all the rage right now. And then the other thing is um, alone anyone watching alone yeah it's a show where like you get dropped off in the middle of the wilderness in alaska i think and you Uh, just have to survive they did a a season recently that was in alaska yeah so this is what my friends and i are talking about to make ourselves feel comforted in covid yeah just somewhere remote where you don't you don't even have a camera person they just drop you with a bunch of cameras and if you stay out there for like I don't know. It's like ninety days or something, or hundred days. Then you get a million bucks. Anyways, people yeah, have to, to survive. The longest. The longest, right? And like, it's and you true don't know. survival. They don't tell you how many people are left. Yeah, you know about it more than me. I've just oh, started I love watching that show. Love Why? it. Why? Because I'm super into survival <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Like, and let's be real. With all the head knowledge I have, if you drop me off alone <laughs> in the Arctic Circle. Nine minutes later, I'd be like, um, I need a pickup. Yeah. I probably wouldn't make that. like the the chopper ride there. I'd be like, uh, I, I need to sit down so I'm more comfortable. Can we turn around? Totally. Totally. <laughs> but you could survive if you had to, because I know about your emergency preparedness kits. That's true. Yeah. That's true. They're legendary. I like to be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a few silly questions that people submitted. Grace, yes. do you want to um, do, do some silly absolutely. questions? Absolutely, I do. Uh, so this one was my favorite. We're going to start with my favorite. Um, Joyce Da 83 on Instagram asks, what movie would you reshoot with an all Muppets cast and why? <laughs> that is silly. Uh, can I say my choice? Top Gun. Top Gun's a good choice. Um, I would do Hamilton and American Musical because a voice artist and like an impersonation, what are you, an impressionist? Vocal impressionist. One who does vocal impersonations professionally. It's an impressionist, I believe. Impersonationist yeah. just sounds wrong. Anyway, did the entire musical both acts as the Muppets. Uh, and it is incredible. I, as I recall, you know, Alexander Hamilton is Kermit the Frog. Um, 
I mean, we will be impressionists here. <laughs> yeah, we will. I will be isolating that piece of audio and using that in the future. Thank you, Mike. I bet it's like uh, they. Uh, um, Angelica Schuyler is one of the chickens, Gonzo's chickens. So when it's yes. uh, Bam, when they do her banana. song, she does the whole thing. It's just, it's amazing. Without breaking character, gold. they do the whole show. It's on YouTube. You can go listen to it. I highly Wait, recommend this e- it. This exists. This is it not. It exists, a- yeah. Oh I think God. Gonzo was Burr. Like, it's really, um, the eagle was George Washington. Uh, of course he was. Sam, was it Sam Eagle? Is his name? Sam. Sam. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 perfect. All right. Well, just I've listened to in. the entire thing. Like I'm not kidding. Like I don't just skim <laughs> around. I've done the entire two and a half hours Muppet Hamilton experience, and all I wanted was the puppets to go along with it. Oh my god! This is <laughs> this is incredible news. I like how we have this question silly question idea at the top of the show, and it's like. We ask Mike, Mike silly questions. He answers sincerely. Yeah. Mike has <laughs> silly questions and serious answers. Um, I have another silly question. Very. Um, it's a great question. It's actually not that silly. Robin on Twitter asks, if you had a chance to redesign our planet from scratch and create Earth Mark 2, what would it look like? Ooh. This is a question we have to be very careful with because Mike is an genius world builder. Mm. <laughs> so time to delve into the Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master yeah, part of the brain. stuff right here. I mean, the simplest change would be um, more karst bedrock. And I don't know exactly how to do it, but if I had the time to think about it, I would try to create an ocean karst bedrock interaction cycle that um, as a geological process regulated the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. Um, Because I think that's like the biggest, if evolution's trying something with humanity, the biggest fault has been like, carbon like there's a reason we burn fossil fuels right hydrocarbons are really really dense and effective form of energy transmission storage everything so if you had a geologic process that held effectively kind of a rubber banding effect not too low not too high on atmospheric co2 um, you could kind of avoid both the martian and venuvian uh, atmospheric fates and kind of stay in that goldilocks zone all the time Mike, you've done it again. Well done, Mike. You've completely you took <laughs> it, it was well done. It was well thought out and I liked it. Um uh Amy Hill in the comments said, uh going back to the first question, hey, I would like to see a Muppets die hard. <laughs> <laughs> That got him, Amy. Well done. (laughs) You can't finish it, no. But we all heard it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And here is the last silly question, Mike. Ben Tolson on Twitter asks, what conditions must exist for there to be a Bernie meme sensation like we experienced the week of the inauguration? There's a huge, like, chapter on the cutting room floor of my second book, You're a Miracle and a Pain in the Ass. Uh, Which, by the way, I looked this weekend. I hadn't looked forever. Uh, Perfect five-star rating on Amazon.com. Something my first book never pulled off. So that was really nice. Nice. Especially how the pandemic just demolished (laughs) the book launch. (laughs) April 28th, it was like, wait, you want to ship a book to another person? I'm sorry. That's not a thing, especially Mm -hmm. not from New York. Anyway. But anyway, on the cutting room floor from that book is an extended chapter about the internet and memetics and how that shapes us. Now, the some some crumbs of that made it into the chapter called uh, "Rise of the Machines." I think is the shipping chapter name. Anyway, uh, but I basically described the internet 
as a mimetic accelerator in the same way that like CERN is a particle accelerator. It takes memes, which are self-replicating ideas. There's a thing called mimetic theory pioneered by none other than evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins that says some ideas, bits of sociological information, copy themselves. Now, let me make that make sense. At some point, people invented doors. There, there weren't doors, and then there were doors. And then we started to build protocols for how you deal with doors. And the main way we worked that out is people would watch each other and see what worked. And at some point for the first time, a man held the door open for a woman. And it went well enough that other men were like, I got to try that. Because, <laughs> because we're social species, our biological replication is actually dependent on our sociological success. So that's why we have this like mimetic culture in humanity. We've always had memes as a species. Like as long as people have been around, we've had memes. But the internet has like really accelerated them. It's taken what has always been true, the iterative nature of human cultural phenomena, and changed that cycle from years and weeks and months maybe to like an afternoon. So because information can spread so rapidly and get so many people's attention, and then they can so easily iterate on it and share the iteration with others, it changes the foundational fabric of culture in a significant way. The reason Bernie is so memeable is, number one, he enjoys incredibly high aided and unaided awareness in people's minds. People know who Bernie is, Right. So if you're to ask people, name a politician, a huge percentage of people will name Bernie Sanders. If you give a list of people and you say, put a check by everyone here who is a politician, almost everyone knows Bernie Sanders is a politician, not just in the United States, but across the world. And the other thing about Bernie Sanders is in an age of rapid cultural change, Bernie Sanders hasn't changed at all since 1972. He gives the same campaign speech. He stands for the same things. And I don't mean this is a fault to Bernie. Sure. Bernie is an old man who's popular <laughs> with millennials and Gen Z. Why? Because everybody true. knows what he stands for. Nobody thinks Bernie Sanders says, what did the focus group say? So I can respond to that. Oh, he's like, we got to unionize these workers. So the fact that Bernie has like a very set aesthetic and high recognition means he is the solidity on which iteration can happen around. Wherever you place Bernie in whatever image, Bernie is going to evoke a very specific concept. And in that way, Bernie is almost a mimetic hieroglyphic, a symbolic representation of an idea and has therefore become part of our mimetic vocabulary. Wow. And that okay. Now I understand the memes. silly question portion. <laughs> <laughs> I promise one day I will give a silly answer, but these these questions are really good and thoughtful. Do you they guys remember good. the burning? They're... Sorry, we've got the, no. You're good. The audio I'm overlap. I was, I was just going to ask. Do you guys remember which Bernie meme it was that made you LOL the hardest for me? It was somebody put Bernie in the the um, pottery scene and ghost. So his little mittens came out with the pottery, and I was like, I was crying with laughter. <laughs> For me, it was definitely um, someone put Bernie at the Last Supper. He was Jesus. It was Good. his little mittens were there, and he looked. Uh, like Jesus, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Our former first lady uh, pur purportedly wore a black dress when she left the White House to board Marine One and then Air Force One. And then when she arrived in Florida was wearing, I don't know about fashion to name it, a print, a pattern? It was that a pattern. Was colorful. A pattern. Yes. Someone showed that picture from a distance and then zoomed in on the pattern and the pattern was a tessellation of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> okay, that that's good. Really hard. <laughs> it's 
really good. Why is that the funniest one of oh of them all? It was so funny. There's just she would be horrified. Really like if she looked <laughs> down and there was a million Bernies on her dress, or she'd be feeling the burn. Who be knows? She'd be feeling the or burn. She'd be feeling the burn. Uh, Mike. I think it's time to transition into COVID vaccine questions. Does that work? Great. Okay, great. Wonderful. Okay, so Mallory Stratton on Instagram asks, and many people were asking this, should I be concerned that it hasn't gone through much testing? Beth's account on Instagram asks, I'm pro-vaccines, but because this was so quickly produced, I'm a little scared. Help? Hmm. All right. So let's start with like, those are fair questions. We understand typically that when you make a vaccine, it takes a long time, right? It takes the earliest vaccines took decades to to develop and deploy. And so here we are with a virus that was first known to the world late in 2019. Uh, and we already have a vaccine for it? How? Did they cut steps? Did they skip things? And let me answer that. No. No one skipped anything in the development of COVID-19 vaccines. So how did they do it so quickly? Well, number one, part of the thing that uh, takes time in medical research is resourcing. You have to do a small trial. You have to do some development. The development takes money. Someone has to invest money to do the initial uh, research into potential therapeutic or or potential solutions that could create a vaccine at all or any medication. Then you have to fund a trial. And then based on the results of the trial, you might get more funding and more funding and this slow progress where basically the science in many cases is waiting on what? Money, checks, cash to hit the bank. And because COVID-19 represents such a significant threat to the stability of human society and the economies that human societies depend on, we found ourselves in a strange situation uh, from an epidemiology and immunology perspective. Nearly blank checks from world governments saying, just get this done and get it done fast. And so we didn't have to wait on the outcome of trial number one, stage one trials, to know if we'd even get to be able to afford stage three trials. The money was just there. We didn't have a hard time finding volunteers to test on. That's another thing that happens in medical research, finding people who will participate in the different stages of a trial. What turns out, a lot of people were interested in potential immunity to COVID-19. Vaccines typically go through um, animal testing. So we test vaccine formulations on animals whose physiology at a cellular level or a macro system level is similar enough to humans to give us useful, actionable data, especially around safety. Then after animal testing, we'll do stage one trials. Stage one trials job is just to say like, is this safe? They don't even really look at how well it works. Does this vaccine do more harm than nothing, like a placebo? Stage two trials are the first time we really start to look at efficacy, but we're still looking more at safety. They're a bit larger. And then at stage three trials, we test on a massive number of people so that we start looking for things that might only show up in edge cases of human physiology or genetics. And for all the vaccines available now and the ones coming in the pipeline, All three stages happen. They just happen in very rapid succession. Now, this is a really important point. Testing isn't done on COVID vaccines. How do I know that? Try to give someone 15 or under a COVID vaccine. No one will do it. Why? The trials aren't done. We're just starting testing right now for children 12 to 15. And not until all those are done, and the general population of 12 to 15-year-olds is showing no negative side effects, will we consider people under the age of 12? And only after we do a lot of that, will we look at potential infant vaccinations for COVID-19? The process has been accelerated, but no steps regarding safety have been skipped, which means what? 
you can trust these vaccines to the degree you would trust any other vaccine to not do harm to you uh, because all the normal testing, rigorous peer-reviewed testing was done and the results were reviewed and certified effectively by public health experts. I don't have any audio from you, Grace. Do you do you hear Grace Victory? I don't. Can you hear me? I hear you. Yeah. That's okay, great. Sound. Grace? Maybe unmute yourself. I, I can see that you're muted like Hello. on the actual thing. There we muted. go. Woo. Wow. Wow. With the tech support chops. First Mike, and only time that will ever happen you. and you know it. <laughs> Yeah, let's I have hear another Chris. question, Mike. Um, are there any legitimate reasons to not get the vaccine? That's from Saldivin, uh, Salva Devation on Instagram. Yeah, great question. And there are always reasons to not get a vaccine. Can you believe I just said that? There are always reasons not to get a vaccine. Medically valid and important reasons. If you are immunocompromised. You should not get the COVID vaccine or any vaccine. If you have an autoimmune disorder, if you have another condition like GBS or some form of cancer or other things, uh, if you're actually undergoing chemotherapy, there's a lot of reasons you either shouldn't get the vaccine or you should talk to your doctor before you get this vaccine. It turns out with every vaccine, there's a certain number of people who can't take it. Here's another thing about the COVID vaccine. Uh, it's about 10 times more likely to cause a severe allergic reaction than like a flu vaccine. It's an mRNA vaccine. That's a new type of vaccine our immune systems appear to respond more aggressively to either because it's mRNA or because of the spike protein compound upon which M this mRNA vaccine is based from COVID-19 already causes a really severe immune system response from the actual virus. Now, when I say really high, what do I mean? In a flu vaccine, something like one and a half or a little less than one and a half out of every 100,000 people have a severe immune reaction, the kind of thing that you might need an EpiPen for, anaphylactic shock. For the COVID vaccine, that's up closer to like 11 or 12 in 100,000. Those are still really tiny numbers. That's why the COVID vaccine takes longer to administer compared to the flu vaccine. There's a mandatory observation period after you take the first and second dose of both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines where medical experts watch you to make sure you're not having an allergic reaction. That means if you have a history of allergic reaction from a vaccine or any medication, you should talk to your doctor before you take the COVID vaccine, and you should tell the person administering your vaccine, both by writing it down in a screening form and telling them in person that you have a history of allergic reaction to medication. And then they're going to watch you, and if the worst happens, you have a severe allergic reaction, they're going to give you an EpiPen, and you're going to be fine. The right place to have anaphylactic shock is under medical supervision, right? But the point here is that there's actually a lot of people who will not be able to take the COVID vaccine because they have allergic uh, allergy issues, they have an autoimmune disorder, they have another disease that prevents them from taking the COVID vaccine, which means those people will never be safe from COVID-19 until we reach herd immunity. What that means is there's actually more of a responsibility on the vast majority of us who can safely take the COVID-19 vaccine because us taking the vaccine is the very thing that will protect the people who cannot. And remember, for years, that will include infants. We are a long way from a COVID vaccine for children under the age of two. If we want to protect the literal future of human society, as many people as possible Every person who can take the COVID-19 vaccine has a moral responsibility, an ethical duty to take that vaccine to protect everyone else. And as we said prior in the last question, we know the vaccine is safe. 
because we have the trial data telling us so. And now so many people are taking the vaccine. We're seeing the, the side effects being in line with the expectations of what we saw in those trials, which means very rare and very mild. I, th I think you might be muted again, Grace. When will I learn? When will I learn? <laughs> I just actualized myself, so we're just pushing buttons like Muppets. Um, <laughs> like Muppets. Mike, uh, this kind of goes along with what you were saying just now. Justin Jones in the comments asks, it actually looks like they're going to open trials to kids as young as six in my area. They're having trouble finding teens. My mm -hmm. kids are eight and six. Would you feel okay with your kids being a part of a trial if they were six? Would I? Absolutely, I would, without question. Um, um, now, I also want to be clear, like, I would talk to my children and see what they thought about it. Uh, I think I think our children ha should have an opportunity to make informed consent wherever possible as well. Um, the reason I feel comfortable with that is, number one, the this virus, the, excuse me, this vaccine isn't based on weakened or dead virus. It's just an mRNA virus. There's no active viral particle in the vaccine. Um, and it's therefore very, very low risk. And COVID is riskier than I, in my estimation, even than participating in a trial for a vaccine that already works with adults. Um, because we have seen most children have asymptomatic or mild cases of COVID, but some children don't. And children seem as likely, if not more likely than adults, to have the kind of post-COVID uh, inflammatory syndromes and responses that adults do. So we see a lot of children who are having the kind of long hauler symptoms we associate with COVID-19 that are debilitating things like very low energy level or brain fog. We're seeing children who have damage to their heart tissue and lung tissue. Um, so, I, you know, from a public health perspective, it is vital we get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible to mitigate this, this virus that, you know, the 1918 flu was so much more deadly than COVID-19. Um, but COVID-19, because of it, it's kind of the extreme response it provokes from our immune systems seems to cause pretty significant tissue damage and uh, long-term quality of life impair impairments. And um, in general, um, trials for children are lower risk than trials for adults. Why? All the adults went first. <laughs> we, we are the animal testing for, for, for trials for children's vaccinations, right? Like we send the grown-ups first, which we should, by the way. I think that's a fantastic way that science operates. And uh, every health expert I've heard talk about it says that uh, they expect these vaccines without any modification are going to be safe for children. But again, we don't skip any steps when it comes to medicine and public health. That means it's appropriate for children, trials with children to follow the mass release of the drug for adults. Mike, um, I have a We're about uh, another Mike. Halfway through the show, do we want to keep the lights on first? I think that's a great idea. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, all right. So uh, we'll be right back. Cozy Robot Show is brought to you because we have amazing sponsors that make it possible. This week, we'd like to tell you about a couple of them. The first sponsor tonight is our favorite sponsor of all, you, the Cozy Robots who listen to this program. It takes a, it takes a whole team to make the Cozy Robot Show happen. Uh, and we're very responsive to our audience. We're always trying to make the show that you want to enjoy and experience and grow with. And as a way of saying thank you and also to make the show the community we'd like it to be, we have a private Discord server 
just for the Cozy Robots. We do all kinds of fun things in there. Number one, we have an after party every week, including this week, 10 minutes after the program. Uh, so we'll all be on there playing games together. We just started a new book club where we meet a couple times a month and we work through books together. We do video game streams together. Uh, people host their own events. We have a community events calendar in this time of social distancing. It is a lot of fun to get together on Discord and hang out. You know, one week we even had Taylor Hughes, a, a professional and phenomenal magician, come and do a, a, a magic show just for the Cozy Robots. So your support is what makes this show happen. And if you're not a Cozy Robot yet, would you consider joining at literally any level yet? Any level, a dollar a month, really does help us make the show and get you access to every benefit that's available. So just head over to CozyRobots.com to learn more. Our other sponsor this week is our friends over at KiwiCo. KiwiCo creates hands-on projects for kids of all ages. And believe me, I am a kid of all ages <laughs> to make learning about steam fun. Now, I don't mean hot water that's turning into a gas. I mean science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. Every single Kiwi crate is designed by expert and tested by kids. They spend over a thousand hours designing and testing every crate. Now you might be thinking, what is a crate? Well, a crate is a box that arrives on your doorstep every month. And in each box, all the supplies are needed for that month's project. You don't have to worry about making the extra run to the store or ordering something from a website in order to finish a KiwiCo project. And because it's STEAM, they're engineering-focused, art-focused, or both. And they're tons of fun. So they include kid-friendly instructions so that children can facilitate their own activity, fostering a sense of independence. And the thing I love the most about Kiwi Crates, you don't have to worry about screen time. My children, my wife, and I all forget our phones exist when we're putting together a Kiwi crate. I personally am lo looking forward with great anticipation to my next Eureka crate, a set of headphones I'm going to build myself. So with KiwiCo's hands-on art and science projects, kids can engineer a walking robot, design a paint pendulum, conduct bubbling and chemistry experiments, and more, all from the comfort of home. Everything you need to make Steam seriously fun is delivered right to your doorstop, and you can get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any of the wonderful Kiwi Crate lines with the code COZYROBOTS. That's right. You'll get 30% off your first month at kiwico.com, promo code COZYROBOTS. So why not get started today? Hi. <laughs> now I'm gun shy because I'm no, like. I have no idea how I'm much like, fun I have watching Victor and Grace flip their cameras on and off in the same studio. It's like my favorite part of the show. My heart beats so fast. I'm like, oh man, I hope I'm doing this right. Um, so another another mic on our Discord, actually. So you were just talking okay. about our Discord. Um, mm -hmm. This mic asks. Are we ever going to get back to normal? I mean, I realize there are people out there living their normal lives like the pandemic doesn't mean anything to them, but I can't do that. I'm nervous that we're never going to get back to the way things were. I miss seeing friends and going to plays and movies and just living normal life. Will that ever happen again? Yes, eventually. Um, this is how natural selection works. So... Eventually, this virus, SARS-CoV-2, that creates COVID-19 and continues to mutate into new viral strains, that family of new virus, novel virus, will become less novel. It will reach a, a point of equilibrium between the global population of people, humans, and the global population of descendants of SARS-CoV-2. I expect, ultimately... Uh, you know, I don't know if it's 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we'll just have a new uh, coronavirus that's an annualized part of cold and flu season, right? That's where we're headed. Now, getting there is the problem and how quickly we get there. 
So one thing that we're looking at right now, uh, COVID is mutating. Uh, there's a, a variant of COVID uh, from the UK called B.1.1.7 uh, that is wildly more contagious than the original SARS-CoV-2. That even though there's been stringent lockdown measures in response to it, it still has pretty uncontrolled spread in Europe, especially the UK. We saw cases explode over there uh, in a way that didn't really reflect their social response. It was, it was you would expect the spread to be lower, and it turned out it was this new virus. When we look at this new strain with the existing vaccines, the new vaccines appear pretty effective. They produce the right antibodies in the right quantities to help protect against that disease. But we're already seeing a version of COVID-19, excuse me, more accurately, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes the disease, come out of South Africa. And early tests indicate that... Um, we might not be producing nearly as much appropriate antibodies from the vaccine for that version. Now, we have every reason to believe that the current vaccine will uh, create immunity against the South African version of COVID-19. And Moderna is working on a booster just in case it doesn't. And so what you're going to see as COVID-19, as SARS-CoV-2 keeps mutating, we'll probably have to create create booster shots and new vaccines. People are probably going to need annual COVID boosters for the foreseeable future. And we've got to do that globally, right? We've got a big problem right now in that vaccine distribution and manufacturing is really getting up to scale for wealthy societies. But the global South doesn't have the same vaccination support. So there's a there's a, a way in which local countries start getting more normal again, but international travel is still weird because vaccinated people, in many cases, can still transmit the virus. So you could have a vaccinated American take COVID-19 into a country whose vaccination rates are lower and make people sick. So we're a long way from international travel looking normal. If we get high levels of vaccine compliance, then we can get really close to normal. Um, if we do things in a wise way, I'm not sure looking at global activity, we will do things in a wise way. But if we did things in a way that maximize the preservation of life while also minimizing the economic impact of the disease, we would see masking become just a normal part of culture, especially in cold and flu season. Uh, we would see, um, you know, probably things like movie theaters getting back to normal pretty quickly, but probably lower uh, numbers of people doing indoor dining. It could be a while until uh, arenas are back to normal. Um, so we're going to see something that feels much more normal than what we've been in this year. We're going to, it's going to feel great compared to what we've been doing in the fall and winter of this year in the Northern Hemisphere. But in terms of like things are just like they were before the pandemic, I think that's actually going to be a few years and it's going to be that because the virus we know is going to continue to mutate. It's going to be a moving target and we're going to have, to have an ongoing vaccination strategy because at least for right now, while SARS-CoV-2 is a novel virus, it is more disruptive to our immune systems uh, than even influenza, which is already, let's be real, influenza is already a, a deadly virus. Like, we don't respond uh, anywhere appropriate to the threat that influenza is in our daily lives. Like, like I say, masking needs to become a normal part of human society, especially as we continue to have uh, increasing population density in urban areas, especially. Um so, yeah, uh, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll be more normal than not this year and uh, potentially totally back to normal uh, in five to ten years. With a small caveat, as population densities increase and the number of people increase and the number of agricultural animals increase, guess what else happens? The probability of novel viruses that cause pandemics. We knew a pandemic was coming at some point before COVID-19 hit. When this virus is over, another one will come. 
And so we need to learn from this experience that we can keep our life more normal and get back to normal more quickly if we make robust investments in public health, if we make robust investments in a social safety net. So we have the mechanisms to support people in times that we need to slow down activity to slow down deadly pandemics. Because listen to me, we were lucky. Can you believe I'm saying that? 400,000 dead Americans, and I'm saying we were lucky. This pandemic could have been so much worse. And the next one, who knows when it comes, could be a lot worse. We've been given an opportunity here. We got graded on a pop quiz and we failed. So now we need to study. We need to do our homework. We need to do it right. We need to make the investments we need to make as a society to rapidly respond to and mitigate the kind of novel viruses that can cause pandemics. Because the very life that we live, dense living with lots of people, interacting with animal species whose populations are growing as well, is the precise formula it takes to create a pandemic. On the Americas, before the arrival of Europeans, a pandemic wasn't a thing. Pandemics were born in agricultural Europe, where dense populations of humans lived shoulder to shoulder with animals, allowing the kind of interaction that meant a virus confused and lost found itself in a host animal that it wasn't adapted to. And most of the time when a virus makes a jump like that, it just dies and it doesn't work. But occasionally the virus gets there and it does something maladaptive. It is lethal to its host. If you're a virus, you don't want to kill the person or animal you live in because then they can't spread you, right? Uh, if you want to be a successful virus, the common cold is such a successful virus. It's really infectious, but it doesn't really cause significant mortality. So it gets to replicate really well. What you see with the emergence of pandemics is a lack of equilibrium. Two organisms that don't really know how to work with each other, and then they have to adapt to one another. And as that happens, we need the public and private infrastructure to minimize the loss of human life and minimize the loss of quality of life during that process. Mike, Losazel on Instagram asks, how do we know who to trust? Oh, wow. Gosh, I have thought about this so much. You know, so many people... I think the, the current term in vogue have uh, vaccination hesitancy. They're like, I'm not sure if I want to take this. And in the United States, you know, one of the groups that has the highest rates of vaccine hesitancy are black Americans, whose communities are hit the hardest by COVID-19. And so you might think, well, how on earth could the community, one of the communities hit the hardest by the vaccine, have some of the highest rates of vaccine hesitancy. History. That's how. If your experience as a Black American is that when you report pain in a hospital setting, you're more likely to be ignored, provably and statistically, to not get an intervention in response to a report of pain, and therefore, your mortality rate is higher in hospitals. <clears throat> if the infant mortality rate among black infants is dramatically higher than white infants, I'm not talking about ancient history. There's lots of not ancient, but recent history events, a couple generations back or a generation back, where uh, black populations have been treated effectively as animal trials in disease, allowing disease to control unchecked, uh, offering examinations under false pretenses, offering medications that weren't the medications they said that they were. If you are a black American, there's some wisdom in not trusting the healthcare system. If you're a woman, <laughs> I don't know if you all know this, you don't have to go back very far to look at a trial and see like, well, there's no reason to test on women. <laughs> we could just test on men 
and then give women men's medication because after all, like, what's what's the difference? They can they can make babies. Like, well, who cares? There's not significant physics. Like, it's ridiculous. So you have this massive kind of historical precedent um, where the further you get from white and male, the less robust access you had to healthcare, including at the research level. And then you combine that with our contemporary circumstance. What's happening today? We have a profit motive in our healthcare system in the United States. And that means what we prioritize is hospitals and insurance companies and drug companies making money over the quality and accessibility of our healthcare. That is a decision we've made as a society and that we all participate in. And so if you're someone like me, who's had a medical event and gone into the hospital and come out of the hospital with crippling debt and spent a significant time on the verge of bankruptcy or going all the way into bankruptcy in response to the healthcare system, yeah, you might say, is this just a way for them to make money? Listen to me. These questions are valid and these questions exist because we as a society and the people we put in charge of administering our society have failed people and failed people often. There's no way around it. There's no valid apologetics that can erase the real harm that has been done to people by science and by medicine. So I got to start with saying the people who are anti-vaxxers and the people who are conspiracy theorists, they start with the truth. And the truth is there's some really messed up stuff in the American healthcare system. So who can we trust? Well, in the midst of all this systemic toxicity, there are some things that work. Science is getting better. At what? Recognizing there's people who aren't white men Trials are getting more inclusive and more inclusive and more inclusive every day. Medical staff and professionals and researchers are becoming more diverse as a group every day. The problems are recognized. And in this profit-driven system in the United States, which by the nature of the U.S.'s economy and size does a huge amount of the lift of research in global health. There's a lot of people just doing really good work. Virologists, epidemiologists, immunologists, primary care physicians. Acknowledge the historic and present problems in the system, working to reform it while also doing good science. We can trust the scientists who are studying SARS-CoV-2. We can trust the public health experts who are doing their best to deliver interventions and communication that help us all survive with the maximum quality of life. And how do I know we can trust them? They show their work. They publish their papers. They accept critique and review and respond to it. And they admit the system is imperfect. They name its faults, and they go to work every day, and they work on them. Those are the people I trust, the people who follow good science and also don't pretend that science is in some way beyond question or beyond reproach or without error in both historical times and contemporary times. And listen to me. Those people exist. Those people have gone to work every day round the clock, and they've tried to figure out how to create a vaccine in a timetable unprecedented in society. They have fought to make it accessible to a degree unprecedented in human society. And they have done their best to fight the mistakes of the past, assuming every patient is an adult white male. Instead, realizing that there is a tremendous variety in the racial, ethnic, and gender composition of the human species. We can trust those people. 
So Mike, that brings me to another question a lot of people had, and it, it'll be their last one of the night, but what would you say to pe- someone who is really hesitant to take it? What would you say to people who are skeptical of the vaccine? I have asthma and heart disease. I haven't really seen someone in months. My family has been isolating since March of 2020. During the summer when cases were low, we had a handful of people, one at a time, one family unit at a time, visit us in our backyard socially distanced. If I get COVID-19, have a much higher chance than normal of dying. If I don't die, <clears throat> I have a higher chance than normal of experiencing long-term impairment. And I'm not alone. Millions of people are like me. And millions of people like me have watched everybody continue like life is normal. We've watched people say online that maybe sick people are just going to die anyway. And it's hard if you're skeptical. Go read the research, it's published. Go read the safety data. Go talk to qualified experts and stay the hell off QAnon forums. And listen to good information and go get that shot in your arm. Because guess what? One day I get to take the vaccine. And after I take the first shot and then I take the second shot and then I wait 10 or 12 days, I'll be able to see other people who've been vaccinated in limited numbers and masked, but I'll be able to see people again. The risk to my life will be greatly diminished. But some people have conditions like I have and will never get to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Some people are like my daughter, Macy. They're too young to take it yet. Some people... Our small children and infants with sickle cell disease or diabetes or autoimmune conditions, and they will never get to take the vaccine. And your hesitancy, listen to me, your hesitancy can kill them. I've been so saddened by our response to the vaccine and to the virus. Before the vaccine even came, it was too big an imposition to stay the hell home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's. And we saw a historic surge of cases. We saw upwards of 4,000 people a day dying every day. The death rate for 2020, double a normal year, a phenomenal amount of life lost. We don't know what the percentage is yet, but is it 10%? Is it 30%? Some significant number of people who have had the vaccine, which will amount to millions of people in the United States alone, have long-term disability from this virus. Just because you've been okay so far doesn't mean we're okay or even that you're okay. Take the shot. Do what is right. This is the rare opportunity where what is right is also what is easy. Herd immunity will change everything, including the rate at which SARS-CoV-2 can mutate. Fewer hosts means less mutation. Less mutation means less risk. So, you know, if you don't care about helping me, 
helping sick children? Help yourself three years from now when a more dangerous version of this virus could emerge. By all means, do your own research the right way, credible research. And once you've done it and consulted with your doctor, if necessary, take the vaccine and save lives. I'm over here crying, Mike. You got me. Thank you for that. It's been a hard year for everybody. You know, I saw a thing on Reddit today. <clears throat> Tanner sent it to us. He's, Tanner's a member of the Cozy Robot team who has young children and does young children things while we're recording, so he's not on the show with us. But it put it into different context for me. You know, it was this thing of what if what was required to slow the spread was extrovert stuff? What if the only way to be safe was to spend every day in crowds, and when you went home to have 30 people at home and isolation was dangerous, that said, introverts, what would you do? And the most upvoted comment was, I guess I'd just die. And I laughed so hard because if what was required was nonstop gathering, I'd be like, I get it. This stuff is hard. Like that clicked for me in a way nothing else the whole time has clicked on how hard it is for many people to isolate. I'm an introverted, brain-injured, autistic man. <laughs> Isolating in my home is not the worst thing imaginable. Um, and if I had to gather every day with other people, with all the sensory challenges and everything I have to save people's lives, you better bet your ass I would do it. Um, so we can pull together and we can make the world that we want to live in. I really believe, believe that. And you all know, because you see them, the Cozy Robot Show is made possible by the most talented and supportive team in the entire world. So I'd like to thank everyone watching and each and every Cozy Robot. The show was produced by Tanner Hearn, Victory Palmazano, and Greg Nordine. Music was by Madison McCarg and Macy McCarg. Production support by Andrew Galucky. Social media management by the wonderful Grace Vaughn. Designed by Sydney Smith. Motion graphic design. Landon Satterfield. Set design. Jesse Lane. Interiors. Wardrobe stylist and craft services. Jenny McCarg. See you in 10 minutes for the after party on Discord. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. And we can't wait to talk with you again next week. Take care, friends. Bye. <laughs>